Just to recap of yesterday, yesterday we had uh, our confirmation celebration. This is a chance for these uh, young people, most of them eighth graders, to confirm their faith, confirm their baptism, to become adult believers in Jesus. And we had 50 students yesterday, 50 students who made that declaration. And I just want to give thanks to Pastor Chuck, as well as to Ryan Fendler, our director of student ministries for leading that process, as well as many of the other mentors who are a part of it, because one thing that we do is we do large group teaching with them, but then they, they get to sit down in small groups, and with those small group leaders, they get to process the information uh, on their own, and they get to pray for each other and find out about each other's lives. And man, the future of the church, if you were there yesterday, you would say the future of the church is bright, that God isn't done with the church right now. And so a series like this, Follow, is really all about that. It's about a belief, a trust that Jesus is continuing to do a new thing in the world, that we don't need to give up on the power of the gospel, and that the church can continue to grow. And one of the challenges we have with this even idea of follow is sometimes what what religion has seemed to have told us or what maybe some religious people have told us. But, but what we've tried to make clear in this series is really this statement. It seems like religion says change and you can join us. Like you gotta become like us, you gotta act like us, you have to behave like us or we're not gonna accept you. If you would just change, then maybe eventually we'll let you join us. But Jesus doesn't say that at all. Jesus says, if you join us, if you follow me, then you'll begin to change. You'll become the kind of person that God always knew you could be. And there's such a huge difference in this because I like to say that Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a person. It's the one we follow. It's God incarnate here on earth inviting us to follow and live the way that he lived. We also introduced a discipleship chart, and I think this is really important because it's important for all of us to figure out well, what, what step that we're on in our discipleship process, and then to understand what it might take to take that next step. How do we grow in our faith? Uh, if you're somebody who's spiritually curious, the real question is you have to validate, is Jesus in fact the savior of the world? Is Jesus real? Did he really rise from the dead? And then what impact would that have on my life? And then if you're ready to make that step in the church, we would say, well, then you're ready. If you're a believer now, then you're ready to be baptized. And we've celebrated a lot of baptisms over the years that I've been here at Messiah, many of them kids, but we've had some adults too. We've had teenagers too who have said, you know what? I've come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. He's my savior and my Lord. And so I want to be baptized in that faith. The thing is, God never wants to leave you there just to, to be an insider. God wants to continue to grow you. And so what might it take to begin to be discipled? Are you in God's word? Are you praying regularly? Are you worshiping weekly? Are you in community with other Christians? Are you beginning to serve your neighbor and serve others and serve within the church? But the real trajectory of the church, the real future of the church is going to depend on that last group. How many people who are being discipled, who are believers, are willing to take that next step and say, you know what, I want to be a disciple maker. I want to be a leader in the church. And so 
a key question that we've asked every single week, based on where you are right now, what is your next step in following Jesus? And what is the Spirit saying to you? What is that nudge that you're, you're getting from God to become the next best version of yourself, particularly with your faith? I'm going to turn to Philippians chapter 2. This is a scripture that has played a large role in my heart over the years. Part of it is because... Um, Paul is somebody like me. Paul is somebody who starts something new, and then there's believers who are kind of following him. But, you know, eventually he, he understands that they need to continue to grow in their own faith, that they can't just keep following him, but they need to start really following Jesus. And then, and then maybe they can start to take disciples. Maybe they can start mentoring people the way that Paul has been mentoring people. And I, I love the Philippian church. I love it because of their enthusiasm. Uh, they're known as a generous church. They're known as a church that really cares about the mission of the church. And so I think they're really ideal for us to look at. I want to look at chapter two, beginning at verse one. Although I'll tell you, I really took inspiration from the whole chapter. And then uh, in the end, you'll see like really the whole book, because I think the whole book is telling one particular story. This is what Paul says. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider himself, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. We'll stop there. Paul, when he's writing this letter, it's very encouraging words, but Paul, when he's writing this letter, is in chains. He's in prison, and he literally has chains on. And... He knows that he might have to die this time. He knows that that is a part of, that's a penalty for him believing in Jesus Christ. He knows that's the risk for himself, and he knows that's perhaps the risk for other believers. But even in prison, even in chains, he's still sharing Jesus. He's trying to love his enemy. And despite his prison, he's taking time to write epistles to other believers with chains on his wrist because he knows other Christians need his encouragement. And never in this letter do you get the feeling that Paul's worried about himself, that he's worried about himself. No, he's always worried about them, or at least he wants to motivate them. And Paul is telling them, if you are about my ministry in Jesus, which of course they are, they owe their whole faith to him. They love Paul. But if, if you're about any of my ministry, if you care about my life, then he says these words, and I love these words, then make my joy 
complete? What would make your joy complete? Maybe a jet ski? Maybe a new Tesla? Gas prices are getting higher. Um, maybe Cardinals tickets? Once they start winning? <laughs> Low blow there, sorry. Sometimes it's the trivial things that we think will make our joy complete. But then you get them, and they don't. In fact, personal property taxes are a little higher this year in Missouri. They actually become a burden. For Paul, there's only one thing that's going to make his joy complete, that will make his chains worth it. If Jesus has meant anything to you, his love and his salvation, if the fact that he has forgiven you all your sins out of tenderness and compassion of his heart, Paul says, then make my joy complete. If you care about the future of this church, Messiah, if you care about the future of it or our, or our legacy, our impact, about the people in our community, about your neighbors, if you care about their eternal destination, then make God's joy complete. And then he continues by being like-minded. Like-minded. By being united. This is what he's saying. You're Christians. You're saved. You're a partner in bringing the gospel to the world around you, and that's awesome. That's great. But God isn't done with you yet. For all you super saints who have halos over your head and everywhere you walk, angels start singing, God isn't done with you yet. For all you Sunday regulars who like to sing hymns, God isn't done with you yet. For you people who feel like, I don't belong here because you dropped the ball or you made a mistake or you feel out of place. God isn't done with you yet either. God wants to complete you. And some of you might feel a long way off. You might feel like you have a lot of sin in your life. Fine. Thank you for raising your hands. Nobody raised their hands. I'm just kidding. The key, Paul says, is to be completed, to be completed. And if you want to make his joy complete, he says the church has to become like-minded. Follow together. Following together is the key. And that's the focus I want to have this morning, is to get our church, to see more churches follow Jesus together. This is about two things. Number one, being like-minded with each other being like-minded with each other. Christian unity. Christian unity is tough when it's time to pick carpets. Half of us like green, half of us are purple people eaters. Christian unity is tough when there's music wars or pews or chairs or to screen or to not to screen. That is the question. Here's the thing. Jesus rarely cares about the things that divide churches. Rarely cares about those things. Jesus cares about the stuff that matters. Theology, the cross, and the empty tomb. 
But whether we sit or stand or hold our hands up or whatever, like-minded means he expects his church to get along. Because this whole thing is bigger than you. It's bigger than our preferences. By definition, love means there's other people involved. You can't just love by yourself. Other people have to be involved. And it begins with God's love for us. Love that was shown on a cross. Love that was given by Christ. Love that was confirmed by an empty tomb. Love that gives forgiveness and life and salvation to all who repent and believe. Yes, all who repent and believe receive that salvation, no matter what they've done, no matter where they've been. And as Christians, we live constantly loved by God. And so when we follow him together, the church becomes the light of the world. And so Paul is saying, become like-minded with each other. And then number two, and this is equally as important, be like-minded with Christ. Imitate the attitude of Jesus. Our unity grows heaven. Paul believes that our unity with each other and with God grow heaven. Paul continues in Philippians chapter 2. He says, Therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee, every knee, every tongue, that's what God wants. Every name, every knee, every tongue. That's who God wants in heaven. If you know nothing else about God, know this. He desires everyone to be saved. Again, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been. And there is a bullet train ready to take people daily to damnation. A bullet train. There's a bullet train, and it's so easy to get on. It's so easy. And every time we let hate get the best of us or we selfishly don't want to be like-minded, that bullet train gets more full. And Paul says it's not acceptable. Look, Paul was a murderer. He was a persecutor. He wrote all about this in another letter. He's like, let me show you my baggage. It's ugly. It's embarrassing. But Jesus still wanted me. He still loved me. So yeah, I'm in chains and my life is, is ruined right now. But make my joy complete by imitating Christ. If you're saved by grace, how about living with a little more grace? Because when we do that, heaven grows more full. Every person in the world matters to God. He wants every one of them to confess Jesus, to know Jesus, to love Jesus, and to be saved. So do your best Dana Carvey and, and start doing some celebrity impersonations. Impersonate Jesus. Or as Paul says, imitate Jesus. Frederick Buechner tells a story. It's called The Happy Hypocrite. 
It's the story about a man who was born with an awful facial deformity. When reaching adulthood, he decided to move away to his, from his town to begin a new life. But on the way, he discovered a beautiful mask that fit him, and it made him look handsome when he had it on. At first, the mask was uncomfortable, and he was afraid that people would find out who he really was, but he continued to wear the mask every day. In his new hometown, he made friends. He even fell in love. But one day, a wicked woman from his old home came to his town and discovered this man's true identity. In front of his friends and his fiance, she forced him to remove the mask. When he removed the mask, it revealed a handsome face. His face had conformed to the mask. And that's the thing with imitating Christ. He might actually rub off on you. He might rub off. You, you might become more like Christ. Paul continues in Philippians chapter 2. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may be blameless and pure. Children of God without fault and a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Grumbling is not a superpower. Complaining is not a superpower. And just like Paul, we too live in a corrupt and crooked generation. On the news, I just heard about another mall, this one in Texas. A mall that I used to go to. And somebody decided to just start shooting people. I, I don't have a solution for the crooked and wicked generation we live in. Actually, I do. Be the church. Be like Christ. May his light and love so shine out of you that it might change some wicked hearts a little. Like, so love the world that their corruptness and their wickedness just bleeds so wrong that we can start to tell the difference again between good and evil. We need more of that. And the church has got to be the church. And that's the only solution that I found that might actually do something. See, it means putting aside our opinions. It means listening for God's spirit, which is hard for us to do sometimes. But Paul's like, if we could just put aside our grumbling and arguing, then we might have a chance. Because grumbling and negativity show this generation one thing, but shining the love of Christ does a whole other thing. And Paul says when we do that, when we allow God to work in us, when we are united in mission together, then we will shine like the stars in the sky. People should see the shine of Christ's light in you. At the end of Philippians, this is in chapter 4, Paul then writes a, a plea. And I think this is maybe a good way to, to wrap up with Scripture today. He says, And I plead with Eudea, and I plead with Syntyche, 
to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side at the cause of the gospel. These are good people. Along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers and all their names are in the book of life. God remembers all their names. He writes this because Philippi was a Roman colony but it was known to give a lot of independence to women. It wasn't common in most uh, Greek cities of the period, but Philippi was more progressive. And interestingly enough, the church there was more progressive, and Paul didn't have a problem with that. And so these two women, they're spiritual leaders in this Christian community, but there's a problem. They are not getting along. And in verse 3, he asked this unnamed companion to help the ladies, like, they got to work out their differences because it's affecting the church. It's messing up the church. And we're not for sure who this unnamed companion is, but it's a probably Epaphroditus because Paul mentions in chapter 2 that he's the one that's bringing the letter to the church in Philippi. And he also mentions Clement. Besides the disciples and Paul, Clement is probably the most influential Christian of the first century. The most influential. At this point, Clement's probably in his 20s. And he's, he, with these two ladies, they are leading the church at Philippi. In fact, he was so influential. Clement was so influential that he became bishop of the church at Rome. He even wrote an epistle. Just, just do a Google search. Clement. Like Clementine, but without the eye. Look up Clement and just read, read his epistle. It reads like Paul. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. The key here is what Paul tells him. He says, be of the same mind. He's pleading with them to work together, to follow together for the sake of the gospel. In fact, he doesn't even say what the disagreement is as if what they're arguing about doesn't even matter. The problem is that they're arguing. That's the actual issue, is that they're arguing and they're dividing the church. Because sin is much too strong and Satan is much too clever and persecution is far too common for Christians to attack each other. When we follow together, Paul believes we can change the world. And I do too. For the past year and a half, um, my wife and I have helped lead a, a new community group and it's been, it's been amazing. And we spent the year uh, getting to know each other. Many of us have families and, that, and that, that's been great. But then as uh, this group has been gathering together, there came a point kind of um, a, a few months ago that we decided, you know what, we really want to work together and we want to decide how we can impact our community. We don't want to just come to, to learn and to pray for each other. We want to be a blessing uh, in our community. And so we went through a study over about three weeks where we tried to discover what kind of gifts and resources were in the room when we gathered together. Like, who we were connected to, what kind of gifts did we have, what kind of means did we have to be a blessing, and, and then what connections did we have in the community? And, and one of the connections we had is uh, that there's a family in this church, wonderful family, and 
Uh, many of our in our group knew them from our school and, and knew about their work, and one of them happens to work across the street at the mental health hospital. And through some conversations and everything, uh, we discovered that they had some needs over there because uh, lately uh, their staff has been they're overworked, and if there was anything that he could do to, to help that place be better, it would be to take care of the staff. And so our group said, well, let's, let's think about what that might mean. And so we did some simple things. We just say, hey, why don't we, like, upgrade their coffee game? So, like, one week, let's bring in luxury coffee and, like, Starbucks creamers and, like, all kinds of different things. And let's, let's set up a coffee bar unlike anything they would ever have in their break room. Because although they might have long shifts, how can they feel blessed? And that they would know, too, that we're praying for them. We care about the work that they do. They're helping people. They're helping keep families together. Like, God bless them. That's wonderful. Uh, we did a, a care basket where we sent different things over that would help the space just look more beautiful. Another week, uh, we got Chick-fil-A for them, uh, for all the staff. In fact, this took multiple shifts because they all had different shifts. And so different members of our group said, hey, I'll go pick up Chick-fil-A today. And we just bring Chick-fil-A to them. It, it was like a simple thing, but it was, but it was really a beautiful thing because I think so often we in the church, we get in here and we talk about stuff, but like most of the stuff we talk about, you know, it, love is supposed to be a verb. It's not a subject. It's like something you do. And I can imagine that same potential exists in every family that calls Messiah their home church. I know I've seen it in Messiah Lutheran School this year. I've known I've seen the impact that they've made. In fact, many of you, like, you jumped on board and said, hey, we'll, we'll help them buy some goats. And we did, like, well over 100. It was amazing. So what, what might God be putting on your heart? How can God use you to serve? And then who, who, could, who could follow Jesus together with you that you could join up and, and, and assess each other's resources and Think about what God might do through you. Because there's this beautiful scripture that Jesus says right in the middle of the Gospel of John. This is before he, he dies. This is before he rises. But it's in John 14. And, and Jesus says the words. Actually, uh, most English translations will say, very truly, very truly, I tell you. Whenever Jesus in your English Bible says very truly, most of the time, the words that he starts with are amen, amen. In Greek, they're actually Aramaic words, but in my Greek Bible, it actually has amen, amen, the words amen, amen. And whenever Jesus says amen twice before he's about to say something, it's the important thing. So he says, amen, amen, I tell you, whoever believes in me, which I think is just about everyone in this room, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. Wow. And they will do even greater things than these. That's who the church can be. That's who you can be. And the key is are we together with each other and with Christ?